this afternoon in connection with uh, our sermon today, the reflection on the fourth commandment. We'll be reading from three different passages. The first one in Deuteronomy 15, the verses 7 to 11. You'll be able to find that on page 220, Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11, after which we'll read from Matthew 10, verse 10, and then Luke 14, the verses 1 to 14. And we'll be touching down on all of these as we go through the sermon. Deuteronomy 15, verses 7 to 11. If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand. And your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. You shall surely give to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. We'll now look to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. We'll be reading together the verses 1 to 10. And you can find that on page 1121 of your pew Bible. Matthew 10, the verses 1 to 10. And when he, that is Jesus, had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the name of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now we'll look ahead to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. So we see that principle, freely you have received, freely you give in 
Matthew and now in Luke, we see a new principle that Jesus puts forward as well. Now it happened as he, that is Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat, the, to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. And here we see what happens ties into the Sabbath principle. What Jesus says following here ties into the Sabbath principle. We'll look at that in a moment. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now we'll turn to the fourth commandment as we find it reflected on in our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 38, which you can find on page 554. What does God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospels in the schools be maintained and that especially on the day of rest, I diligently attend the church of God to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord and to give Christian offerings to the poor. Second, that all the days of my life I rest from my evil works. Let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. Today, we'll be focusing in particular in, on that line to give Christian offerings to the poor in relation to the Sabbath day. Congregation loved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, how do you give 
Do you have a hard time parting with your money? Or do you give freely and joyfully, expecting nothing in return? As we rest on this Sunday, we're reminded of the generosity of our God towards us, the reason that we can have this rest in the first place, the fact that God gives us the resources to be able to take a break for a day in the first place is a big thing. But even more than that, the, reason, the fact that he's given us a reason to rest and to worship and to focus on him on this day is an incredible gift, salvation through Jesus Christ. We already see this pointed to in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament law, God teaches his people that he gave them everything And that's the foundation of their Sabbath rest. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 remind them that their existence and everything that they have comes as a gift from Him. And the Ten Commandments, as we find them in Deuteronomy 5, point to the fact that God's people were saved by Him. They should rest, he says, because they were saved for rest for the freedom to worship from Egypt. But it doesn't stop there. God applies this principle of Sabbath rest and he stretches it out even beyond talking to his own people. Whether they believe or not, their manservant and their maidservant and even the non-Israelite immigrant living among them must be allowed to rest on that day. Their relationship to God and the fact that they've both been created and saved by God are reasons enough, God says to his people, why they should not only rest, but why this principle of rest should overflow to those who are living among them as well. It's all one-way love. It's all an undeserved gift. And now, He allows us the opportunity to be a blessing through the gifts that he gives. All of this is an extension of the Sabbath rest. From here, God takes it a step further. He gives us the ability to grant the physical and to speak of the promise of spiritual relief to those around us who are in need in those ways as well. Our Lord's Day begins by describing it in this way. It begins by supporting the spiritual work and relief that the gospel itself brings, that the ministry of the gospel in the schools, that is, schooling that faithfully teaches about God's word, be maintained. But more specifically, that this relief and freedom and generosity we are shown by the God who makes it possible for us to take a day of rest in seven, should also be shown to the world through what follows, through the picture of Christian offerings to the poor. So in light of that, we'll look at this aspect of the fourth commandment under the theme, No Strings Attached, showing the world the generosity of our God. And we'll see, first of all, the place of the poor in our lives. Second, what do we have that we have not received? And third, liberalitas versus caritas. And we'll get to what those mean in a moment.
So the first thing that we have to ask ourselves as we consider this line of giving Christian offerings to the poor is, which poor? Notice what our catechism says. Our catechism says not just to the Christian poor, but to the poor. Now, this is not to say that we don't have a special responsibility towards those who are in our midst. We do. They are our primary responsibility. In Galatians 6, verse 10, we read, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially those who are of the household of faith. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, we also see this covered. If anyone doesn't provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So we are taught that our first responsibility is towards those who are closer, closest to us. Yes, if there are those in our immediate family, our extended family, or our church family that need help, we are called to be there for them when, where, and how we can. And yet we are called to do good to all. Here in Owen Sound, we do strive to live this out practically through some of the causes we support in this church in giving. These churches that give gospel-filled support around the world, not just to those who are from Christian backgrounds, but to those from all backgrounds. But it's good to intentionally reflect on our giving as we give to these different causes and also as we think about perhaps giving to those who are beyond these four church walls as well who run into times of need. Not giving blindly but giving intentionally and joyfully to these causes. So that's the poor. Now reflecting on which poor are spoken of, we are now led to see what our view of the poor ought to be. We'll take a second first to see how society views the poor and then how Jesus views those who are in need. Though we have more compassion for those with whom we have a relationship who are in need, there's a tendency in our society to do one of two things when it comes to the poor that we don't know, those who are impoverished that we don't have a direct relationship with. Part of society, in the first place, turns them into passive sufferers. They all get lumped into the same category. All personal choice, all personal volition is taken out of the equation. And they are seen as victims of the circumstances surrounding their lives. They're on the street because of drugs, alcohol. Well, you can trace it back to mental stress or back to the way that they were raised or the experiences that they suffered along the way. And the idea of this part of society is that if we made sure that no one ever experienced what they had experienced, no one would be poor anymore. Another part of society turns them into people who just don't try hard enough. It's completely their own faults. It's their own choices that led them there. They're just lazy. If they wanted it more, 
They could leave poverty behind. If they worked harder, they could get out of it. If they pulled up their bootstraps a little, everyone could lift themselves up out of the clay and mire of their own bad decisions. So, to which of these two positions does Jesus lean? Are they passive sufferers? Are they people who don't just try hard enough? Jesus doesn't point us to either direction. Rather, he points us in a new direction. Instead of saying, what did they experience to be poor, Jesus frames it differently. In Matthew 26, verse 11, when he is dealing with an expensive gift of perfume that had been poured out on his feet, the immediate protest was, this could have been sold and given to the poor instead of pouring, being poured out over you. Jesus responds, the poor you will always have with you. Jesus, of course, is addressing a different topic in the context of saying this, that of his short stay on earth and the preparation for his death. But setting that aside for a moment, reflect on those words that he says. The poor you will always have with you. In this, he also brings to mind our reading from Deuteronomy 15. In Deuteronomy 15, chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 11, he says, The poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. He makes it clear that this is a principle that he held near and dear to him. So what's the idea behind this statement that the poor will never cease from the land? It's this. God will bless the people of God in the land of Israel. However, he'll choose not to extend that blessing of financial stability to every person in the land. In his sovereign wisdom, he has chosen to leave some in need among his people. But notice, he hasn't just left them in need. He gave them to his people. God chose to leave them in the care of the rest of the nation of Israel. Why would he do that? Think about the Ten Commandments principle that we reflected on earlier. God saved his people from slavery. As a result, in the Ten Commandments, they were to commemorate the Sabbath day as a reminder that their delivery from slavery and their entry into the promised land was due to his work. And that the rest that they took was a picture of a spiritual rest. It was to be an everlasting reminder to them of the spiritual rest that God had promised them, not just in the land, but in the new Jerusalem as well, that city whose, city whose foundation and builder is God, as the book of Hebrews describes it, what Abraham was looking forward to. However, if you suffer under financial instability, there is no rest. 
if you know, if you do not know when you're going to eat next, and your meal is uncertain from one day to the next, you cannot rest on the Sabbath day because you won't eat then. So the only way that they could receive this rest was if they were provided for by the people of God. It was a living picture and an encouragement, but also in some ways a test for the people of God. God was saying, I provided for you directly. Now I give you the poor, and I teach you that I will provide for their rest through you. The result for a community that lived in obedience to God among them was this. The physical help from the people of God would provide a very real spiritual rest for the people who lived among them. They would be able to enjoy a day of rest. They would not have to fear going hungry, entering into starvation, simply because they took a day of rest. So consider the position of the poor then, again, from those three points of view. First, that mindset that if we made sure no one ever experienced what they had experienced, no one would be poor anymore. We see this as false. The poor will always be there for us to care for. In the second place, if they pulled up their bootstraps a little, everyone could lift themselves up out of the clay and mire of their own bad decisions. This statement completely neglects the truth of what God has done for his people, the way he provided for his people. That truth of what do you have that you did not receive, which we'll look at shortly. Or as the English reformer John Bradford put it more quotably, there but for the grace of God go I. And again, this too neglects that God said the poor would always be with us. But Jesus says this, I have given you the poor. I have given you the ability to take care of the poor. You have the opportunity to give them the opportunity for a day of spiritual rest without fear that they'll go hungry. Christ's view gets us to examine our current position in life. If anything I have is from God, then their lack of having is also from God. If my current position in life is a gift from God, then I should not turn around and condemn those who haven't been given what I've been given. Help keep accountable, yes. Teach and train in a loving fashion, yes. But not to condemn and write off. I should ask myself, why have they been given to me? Why have they been placed in my life by God himself? Because God did put them in my life. I recently spoke with a congregation member who said this, emailed me this. I have always believed that financial burdens often inhibit members from proper worship. One can become so despondent by severe financial pressures that it sucks the joy out of living in Christ to the point where one no longer sees or is able to see the beauty of God's covenant promise. This is why the diaconal task is so important. And that line in the subscription form for deacons is also very relevant. No one, this is the quote, no one should live uncomforted under the pressure of sickness 
loneliness, or poverty, end quote from the form. When such pressures of making ends meet, our focus can, when under such pressures of making ends meet, our focus can be drawn away from the Lord and in living in his service to ourselves and just trying to get by. God has chosen to care for some of us by blessing us directly. God has chosen to care for others by blessing us through his people and through that to give them the opportunity to rest. So considering our position in relation to those who are in need, we can begin to take the first step towards generous love with no strings attached, showing the world the generosity of our God, recognizing that he gave them to us. This brings us to our second point. If we reflect again on that phrase to give Christian offerings to the poor, the second thing that we can recognize when we consider that line is something that we'll look at that Jesus Christ himself draws from Matthew chapter 10, namely that we are giving Christian offerings to the poor. If you were to look up in a dictionary what an offering is, you would see the definition something like this one. An offering is a thing offered, especially as a gift or a contribution. The idea from a secular mindset is that it is us giving a piece of our own wealth to those who need it. And you'll sometimes get a response like this. If you talk about charitable giving, you'll sometimes get a response like this. Oh, you're such a good person. Or if you talk about donating time, Helping out, you're going to help out somebody who needs a hand. Oh, you're such a good person. But here's the thing to understand as Christians. Offerings are not a reflection of us giving out of our own wealth. Offerings are giving back a portion of what we have received. The Holy Spirit teaches us something of this principle in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 where we read, what do you have that you did not receive? And he brings that to life in the recorded words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. Consider what Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 10, verses 8 to 10. He sends them out to preach, saying, freely, freely you have received. Freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor a bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. There are two things that he brings to the mind of his disciples in this. First, as they go out to the ends of the countryside preaching, anything that they receive is freely given to them. They are not self-sufficient, you might say. They are sufficient on God's providing for them. This is really walking out in faith because if God doesn't provide for them in the way that Jesus says he will on this occasion, they won't have fresh clothes to change into after a hot and sweaty journey. They won't have money to buy food, so they'll quickly grow hungry, and they won't have shelter either. They must rely on God to provide for them that very night that they walk away from Jesus to go preach the gospel. So in the first place, he teaches them, you are dependent on the providence of God each and every day. But in the second place, 
through being brought to see that this isn't something that's earned by them, but they are provided by in this, they are brought to the realization that it truly is God's. Freely you have received, freely give. Yes, you receive from people. A worker is worthy of his wages. But ultimately what you have comes from God through them to you. And just as it has come through them to you, freely you have received, freely give. So too should it come through you to others. Through sending his followers out with this mindset, Jesus changes the way that they approach being given gifts. The natural inclination is to build up for yourself a treasure store. But here Jesus rules out hoarding for themselves the gifts that they have been given. He cuts this short with a reminder that freely they have received and so freely they are to give. As they receive copper, silver, and gold, they are to give it. Again, as they do so, when they go out, they are putting flesh on their theology. Their own real-world generosity in passing on copper, silver, and gold as they receive it is a picture of the riches of the kingdom of God with which they are being sent out. Because that is the purpose that they as disciples have been sent out. They have received the riches of the kingdom of God and now they are spreading that out to those who are around them. The physical giving was a picture. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, the Holy Spirit teaches us this, that the physical giving was a picture of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, and that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He became poor that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Here it's talking about Christ coming down from heaven, a place better than all of the riches in the world, in order to impoverish himself to the point of death. And that he did this to bring us to himself. In his willingness to bring himself to the point of poverty, he gained salvation for all who believe in him. Matthew 10 verse 8 reflects this too. Freely you have received, freely give. God's providing for them through what Jesus Christ has brought them can now be a way that they can, uh, that God will provide for others. This applies to everything earthly we receive. Some of us have money, yes, but not all of us do. Yet we are provided for in other ways with an abundance that we can now share with others, financially, emotionally, intellectually. Some of us have more time because we're younger, wisdom, energy. All of this, though, must come with the gospel. All of this points to the message of Jesus. Matthew 10 verse 7. As you go preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
So this is the way it connects with remembering the Sabbath day. The second way that it connects with remembering the Sabbath day. That though we are called to be responsible stewards of the gifts we have received on this earth, we are called to do that. Our main goal and aim is not personal enrichment, to hoard what we have, to covet all of our time for ourselves, to covet all of our energy for ourselves if we've been blessed with an abundance. But it's the advancement of the kingdom of God. It's freedom from bondage to earthly things and to sin and to advance the glorious message that he who was rich became poor for our sakes, that he will grant us eternal freedom to share in his eternal riches and will let us share in our master's happiness. That one day of rest out of seven that we receive to focus on the gospel above and beyond all else points to this. It points to the riches that we have received that we can now share. What better day than Sunday to give from what we have freely received? This brings us to the last day thing that we'll consider today. We've considered who the poor are and what the offerings to the poor look like, and last of all, we'll consider what it means to give Christian offerings to the poor. In doing so, I'll introduce you to those two Latin words, liberalitas and caritas, or charitas if you go by church Latin, that really show well how Jesus' teachings with regards to the poor turned the whole world in his day on its head. And we'll look at Luke chapter 14, a passage that clearly exemplifies the difference that we find here. In Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14, Jesus said to his host, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. How do this, does this contrast with the Roman view of the day? Liberalitas. You can hear the word liberality here, as in give with liberality, give, give liberally, give freely. This was an idea that was completely normal in the Roman culture of Jesus' and Paul's day. They would give very generously, but their free giving was not exactly free giving, if you know what I mean. There were always strings attached. The giver would often be a man known as a patron, and he would give on the basis of what the people who received could give to him. Quite often that would be political support. They would lift up his name in the public square and he would advance politically. The historian Alvin Schmidt writes, only in extremely rare cases did some of the Romans give without expecting something in return. It was usually the most honorable, those who really did not need help, who received all or most of the charity dispensed. But what Jesus describes here turns all of that on its head. It turns the whole world's perspective of giving on its head. A picture of genuine giving 
No strings attached. This was a giving described by the word caritas. Here you can hear the root word of charity. This kind of giving without anything expected in return as the norm for the kind of giving that you did was a lot different from what a lot of the Roman world was used to. Christian offerings to the poor had a completely different character from society's offerings to the poor in Jesus' day. You can see this a little bit in the way that our society has it today as well. I can depart from here for a second. Uh, Consider, for example, taxation. It used to be that the church had a major role in caring for the poor. That the church would provide for people within their cities. And in many cases, they did this in a beautiful, beautiful way. As food went out and as provision went out and you had widows and you had orphans in the city that were being taken care of, the gospel would accompany that. But churches in our day and age, in the last, in, in the last decades, have ceded a certain amount of that. They have given over a certain amount of that. And instead, the government has stepped into place here. The government has dipped into the pockets of people across the nation. And then the government provides people with care. And it's a care that, as people have realized that they can vote on expanding, it's a care that you can see comes with a certain amount of strings attached. A lot of politicians have realized that people vote with their pockets. And so society has moved away from the charity kind of giving in, a, in some ways because the church has failed in its task across society, across Christian society. And now the giving that, is, that has come to those who are in the poor, and, and it's not only on the churches. I do want to, it is a little bit more nuanced than that. But the giving that comes with giving to the poor, now is no longer accompanied by the gospel. And that's one of the saddest things that comes with this. But the giving that Jesus has described here is a kind of giving that could not be repaid. A giving with no strings attached because there genuinely could be no strings attached. Those to whom you gave had nothing of value that you could offer. This is what it means to give Christian offerings to the poor. Perhaps it was scorned by the world or seen as a sign of weakness, but it embodies the Christian marriage uh, message. This is what Christ taught. And it turned the entire Roman worldview completely on its head. It was a specific and deliberate message that went out through that giving. That we, yes, we, who could not repay, we 
we're shown the eternal and infinite generosity and grace of a Savior who, though he was rich, became poor for our sakes. For those of us who are able to give then, let us seek to give. There is a purpose to our giving. Let's give with that purpose in mind. Let's give in the name of Jesus Christ. For those who are in a position to receive, let's not be embarrassed or feel like we are burdening people, nor let us take it for granted. But rather, let us receive it thankfully as it truly comes, not from the hands of those who give, but from the hands of the Lord who cares for us through them. It's being given to us in the name of the Lord. And let us rejoice in this. Loved ones, as the hymn says, freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Go in Christ's name and because you believe, others will know that he lives. Amen.